Well, my fellow patriots, it's no longer the land of the free, but is it still the home of the brave? Do we still have brave patriots in America to make America free again? Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. Welcome, fellow patriots, to the Conservative Review Podcast. This is our special July 4th edition. On Thursday, July 2nd, we'll be off to observe Independence Day on Friday. Obviously, the celebration is Saturday itself. But how fitting it is to celebrate it today as well, July 2nd was the day they actually adopted in Philadelphia the motion from Henry Lee to uh, break off of England. And that was the physical independence. But what we always celebrate is not the actual independence, the formation of a nation, the freedom, independence from England. That was July 2nd. We celebrate July 4th because of the remarkable document that the country was founded upon, that was supposed to be everlasting, that spoke to the truest principles of morality of all governance, that Declaration of Independence. Folks, it is with a very heavy heart, a lump in our throats, and a tear in our eyes that we approach This year is Independence Day. This is an Independence Day like none other in our lifetime, but really in 244 years. Every year we typically lament, inspire, do a a mixture of both on our special July 4th show. It's become a tradition here. Give a little bit of historical perspective where we are now in the prism of those unalienable rights and where we're headed and where we should be headed. And obviously, this has been a gradual sunset, just like the sun sets gradually. The sun has been setting on a republic pretty gradually. And we always knew we were moving away from self-evident truths, life, liberty, property, popular sovereignty, jurisdictional sovereignty, a just government But this year, (laughs) we are living through a time where last July 4th, none of us could have envisioned that we would, in its most literal sense, without any degree of hyperbole, be suffering through more widespread infringements upon bodily integrity, freedom of movement, right to pursue property and to earn a living than ever before in our lifetime. Ever before, likely the most widespread infringements upon real unalienable rights since the founding of a republic, and really since before that. Folks, the founders had nothing on us today. King George was nothing. He didn't make them walk around wearing a diaper on their face now in many states outdoors in the 100 degree weather for a complete lie. It was always a lie, but the second wave is an even bigger lie. Facts, data, reason, logic don't matter anymore. 
because we don't have governance by the consent of the governed. We don't have people created equally. We now have an elite governing class that is now able able to rule over us in a way that King George never did. Those intolerable acts, they were nothing. Now, obviously, I'm not knocking the founders. They believe that ultimately he reserved the power to do whatever he wanted to them, which is why they were right to break off. But if you actually look at what they were suffering from, dude, they had more freedom personally than we have ever had in our lifetimes, much less this year. And then you look at the juxtaposition to that tyranny, which is the anarchy. And I know sometimes they sound like opposite terms, but you could have anarcho-tyranny. And that's what we have today. Where basically, we now have, if you follow my Twitter account, I put out some charts from some, from some very smart people on Twitter that I've gotten to know personally, very smart scientists, mathematicians, that put together charts showing the massive percentage that Hispanics now account for the cases of coronavirus and the trend of how basically they account for a majority of them since May and downright all of them, almost all of them at the border. How we are ruled by a government where they believe there is now a right to come into our country And then they spread the virus and they use that against us and blame us. You had too many barbecues in your backyard. Oh, I guess that's why Maricopa County Hispanic share of cases went up from 30% to 54% in in just a month. Yeah, that, that certainly accounts for that trend. Oh, and by the way, the 15 people in your backyard Memorial Day or July 4th barbecue is what's causing the spike, which is very illusory and mild anyway. But not, of course, the thousands upon thousands of people jammed into urban streets, dynamically moving everywhere, taking mass transit in big urban areas. No, that's not responsible. They use the anarchy that they induce to push the tyranny upon us, just like our founders indicted King George of inciting the Indians against them. It is truly shocking where we are. Indeed, this year, we will not celebrate our freedom because we don't have freedom. We will not celebrate the Declaration of Independence because it's been shredded. We will not celebrate life, liberty, and property because we don't have it. We will not celebrate everyone being equal under God because we don't have equality. We have a governing class that gets to control things. We are ruled over. Our own damn bodies now are ruled over. Even outdoors. This is a growing trend. It's going to be everywhere if we don't stop it. All for a lie. Flat earth science. Insanity. Utter insanity. But what we can do is commemorate what we did have. How we got it. And the imperative to fight back and get it again. That will be the greatest celebration if we can achieve that. We can't celebrate our freedom. We have to win it back. We have to walk in their footsteps like nobody else has done since 1776. Let's travel back in time a little bit. Travel back in time. The day was July 4th, 1826. 
I'll have some of this out in my annual July 4th manifesto. You could read some of the quotes. What a fortuitous day, divine providence. We actually had a very religious country back then that believed in God, so they understood this. Whereas now, as we see from the panic and fear of a virus that has now turned into a cold, there is no faith in God anymore. It's all human input. But anyway, a shocking thing happened. It was July 4th, but it wasn't just any July 4th. You see, it was the 50th anniversary of the founding of the country, the assertion that a nation state will be built upon self-evident truths, God's law, natural rights, not just identifying God as the creator, but identifying God as the source of those rights and of just governance. And... Both Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, the primary thinker behind the Declaration, Adams, the primary drafter, Jefferson, were deathly ill. They're on their deathbeds. Jefferson perked up in the morning. He said, is it the fourth? And I believe those were his final words. And he died. That was in Monticello, Virginia. A couple hours later in the afternoon, July 4th, John Adams in Quincy, Massachusetts, was on his deathbed. And his final words were, Thomas Jefferson survives. Thomas Jefferson survives. Now, everyone always talks about the irony of that. And, you know, first off, that it, it was a, one of the most remarkable relationships in the history of famous people and mankind. They were friends in arms fighting the revolution. They became the worst of enemies in the election of 1800. And then a decade later, they reunited for the last years of their lives in correspondence and became friends again. While in its literal sense, everyone notes the irony that Thomas Jefferson didn't survive. He actually had died first. He died a few hours earlier in Virginia. Adams, of course, had no way of knowing that. They both died on July 4th. By the way, so did James Monroe. And so did former North Carolina Senator Jesse Helms. One of the last real conservatives in this country that this entire phony conservative political movement treats like garbage. But that's a different story. And then another great man, Calvin Coolidge, was born on July 4th. We'll talk about him a little later. So I was thinking, Thomas Jefferson survives. Well, he didn't survive. He died. But perhaps there was a bit of divine prophecy put in the lips of Adams as he was coming to his creator. Thomas Jefferson did survive. Because it wasn't about Jefferson. It wasn't even about, as I said, the July 2nd dec- um, motion to become independent. It was about the document and how that lived on for almost 200 years. As the famous uh, historian Samuel Eliot Morrison once said, 
If the American Revolution had produced nothing but the Declaration of Independence, it would have been worthwhile. Jefferson always said it expressed. He he never felt it was a remarkable document. It wasn't anything earth-shattering, but it established a nation on those self-evident truths. It expressed the American mind. And as John Adams supposedly said on that same day, I don't know if it was right at the time or earlier, independence forever. When he was asked for his message on the 50th anniversary, independence forever. And that's how Thomas Jefferson lives. Friends, patriots, countrymen, until now. In some sense, you could say even the last number of years as things were bad, we were, we were still kind of free. We could do what we wanted for the most part. I mean, you had the subtle lack of security, judicial supremacism. But now they are literally clamping down on our lives. We are at the point where they have governors now saying they will send the cops after you. I'm not kidding. Tom Wolf and you know, governor of Pennsylvania for not wearing a diaper outdoors in 100 degree weather. And at the same time, encouraging violence, looting, dismantling of our history, blocking roadways and lynching people, and then prosecuting people who engage in self-defense. But the sick, twisted irony is that these people, to the extent there is some spread of the virus, they are the ones spreading it. They are their enforcement wing. This is how anarchy and tyranny come together in the worst nightmare that our founders could have never envisioned. Could have never, ever envisioned. Truly, truly shocking. If you think about this July 4th, you see, this is going to be a very different celebration. We can't have fireworks displays because you might spread the virus. But the only fireworks we will have are the massive numbers gathering to riot in greater numbers and with less care than a July 4th celebration. You will hear fireworks. They will be from the gang members throwing fireworks at the police. And in the case of Brooklyn, almost killing an infant. That embodies the state of play in America. Anarchy, Tyranny, anarchy, tyranny in a circuitous cycle of the more anarchy, the more tyranny on we the people, the more anarchy for the protected uh, flavors of class, protected causes in the most exemplified paradigm of inequality in our history where we're all supposed to be equal under God, under the law. That is how we will be spending our July 4th. It wasn't just the statue of Thomas Jefferson that was ripped down in Portland, Oregon, where Thomas Jefferson survived until 2020, but no longer. It was that foundational governing document, the social contract that belongs to you and me, that he helped draft. The document that nourished our nation like mother's milk. 
until it died 244 years later. That is what was torn down. Because again, it's not a matter of Trump talking about, oh, you know, this is, uh, we have to deal with the monuments. And I agree, they're important, you got to protect them. But it's more than that. It's what's behind them. It's the tyranny, it's the anarchy, it's the coronafascism. It's the open borders. It's the illegal aliens and criminals getting standing in the courts, but we don't. We have nowhere to go. I was like, there's got to be someone to appeal to. A diaper wearing a mask outdoors in 100 degree weather. There's, that's insane. There's got to be some, some place to go. Nope. No place to go. While illegal alien child molesters and gang members get standing in court to vitiate our laws. I'm going to have a very ironic observation for you. We're, we're going to travel around history a little bit. We're going to go to the 210th celebration, July 4th, 1986. Ronald Reagan was observing in his speech as he related this story, the famous story of Jefferson and Adams uniting in friendship around July 4th, around the Declaration, around the founding of the country. And then he applied it to the American people 210 years later. I want you guys to think the irony of how sick and how decrepit we have become, not just over a course of 244 years, but over the course of 34 years. Quote, Reagan said, the things that unite us. What are those things? America's past of which we are so proud our hopes and aspirations for the future of the world and this much-loved country. These things far outweigh what little divides us. Oh my gosh, 34 years later, there is almost nothing that doesn't divide us. Chief among them, America's past, of which we now have both wretched, perfidious, traitorous, Political parties scorning and deracinating its roots. In order to understand what we lost and what we need to fight for, let's review this great document. Let's review it. Let's go through it. Obviously, it was the product of five great, great men. Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, Roger Sherman, Robert Livingston, and of course, Thomas Jefferson. In just the 201-word preamble, this charter, in my view, establishes six unassailable principles of the morality of a just governing system. All of those have been flipped on its head, juxtaposed to one another in the worst way imaginable. Number one, obviously, that individuals are born with natural rights that come from God, not from historical precedent of case law, not from English common law, and not from the democratic whims of a majority in a given society. Those rights are beyond the reach of mob rule or a tyrannical political majority. There are certain things you you just cannot do to people. You have a governing system to... On varying levels, secure border, 
keep the peace, determine when and how you want to do garbage collection. You could disagree. You could have a majority opinion on that. But what, it, what, what the declaration was stating is that there are certain things you just cannot do. That is off limits. You just cannot do this. You cannot shut down someone's business indefinitely. You cannot force them under house arrest indefinitely. You cannot force their bodies to walk around in, in restraints in some sorts. Life, liberty, property. And that's the second thing. That chief among those natural rights, they're not the only natural rights, but they are the foundational rights that are come from God. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Pursuit to earn a living, own property. Pursuit. Not guaranteed outcome. Not freedom to. Not freedom to welfare. Freedom to someone someone else's employment, someone else's business. It's freedom from, from negative consequences, from government coming after you. And the right to pursue it. If you don't succeed, that, that's, that's on you. And of course, as Sam Adams elucidated, the founding father of the revolution, and this is really in a lot of the individual state bills of rights. Remember, a lot of it, Thomas Jefferson was not trying to plagiarize. That's why he said it's, it's not, it wasn't remarkable in his mind. A lot of that was built already by these same great minds throughout the preceding decades in the Maryland Bill of Rights, the Vir- Virginia, Massachusetts. And it talked about this there, but, but Sam Adams said, among the natural rights of the colonists are these. First, the right to life. Secondly, to liberty. Thirdly, to property, together with the right to defend them in the best manner they can. You know, a lot of people talk about, oh, they didn't have, uh, you know, semi-automatic rifles back then, like it was muskets. No, it means commensurate to the threat level of your time. In other words, you don't have an unalienable right to walk around with a bazooka because there's no need for that. Although we are getting there with the writing, um, but. You have that, that that is a natural right in the declaration, implicit in the right to have that if you can't defend yourself, especially when the state fails to defend you, then what's the point? Number three, principle number three. That individuals form a government as a social compact. Well, you know, I'm I'm sitting here alone. A society exists before a government at some point, as it did in America. They uh, came over on the Mayflower, some areas in Roanoke before even at, at Plymouth. And they started establishing a society. And then, well, at some point you need some sort of government, right? Well, I'm, I got my musket. I could defend myself. I got my property. I don't need any government. Well, no, you need some sort of social compact to work together not to give up those rights but to defend those rights from existing threats because the notion is there's evil people in the world there's a lot of evil people in the world God creates that for a purpose to challenge you so at some point you even if you don't see it immediately 
you will need, even if it's not internally, which inevitably you need it internally too, to deal with order of, of theft and violence and bad people, you do need that that sort of thing, even if you have your own guns, to defend and keep order in a society. Because if you don't have order, you don't have liberty. Then you, then you have tyranny and anarchy, which AKA is what we have today. We literally have abolished the police today, de facto. How's, how's your liberty? You can't walk around without getting lynched. Stores can't open up in every major city, not just because of the unconstitutional lockdown. But that's why we form a government. They're formed to protect, to validate those rights. It's not like you have rights, but now we have a government, we're going to start taking away from you. No, no. It's precisely to protect those rights. Then there's principle number four that goes a little bit beyond a government is not only just for police. Let's just apply it nowadays. Police at a local level, border security and military at a national security, national federal level. Although those clearly are the, the number one primary jobs of government, as stated the, in the, in the um, declaration, that, that the chief job of government is to protect security, the exact opposite of what they're doing now. So in other words, um, if you had to create a matrix of 100 priorities of what is the most in line with a just government, the job of a government, the prerogative of a government, the ability of a government to do, we now have number 100 as one and number one is 100. Or it's not even on the map. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers and consent of governed. Right? To secure these rights, life, liberty, and property. It's not garbage collection because you don't need that for life, liberty, and property. But number four is that an extension of that is that there is kind of an innocuous middle ground. So there's there's the imperative of government. They must protect your rights. They must do security and safety and order. The other end of the spectrum is what they must not and cannot do is use majority votes and power, tyranny of majority, to infringe upon those rights. The middle ground are things that are not affecting inalienable rights, but governments may exercise other just powers. If you, if you read carefully, it's, it's describing that. Primarily for the safety and stability and prosperity of a society. But obviously those things are only by the consent of the people as expressed through some legitimate system of Republican representation that flows directly from the people at some point. This is what they struggled with in uh, 1787, 11 years later, how to fulfill that and put it on paper, but that was the principle. And inherent in this principle is that no outside forces not controlled by the members of that society itself may determine the destiny of society. So the notion that you could have at a time when we are denied access to the courts, 7.8 billion people, according to a Trump judge, to go and give standing in court 
to sue for the right to come in our country and be treated like refugees, to steal our money. You have other people and you have the unelected branch of government giving foreign nationals the right to steal from us, the right to determine our security policies, to determine our destiny. That is the most gross violation of the natural right of a society that's created the consent of the governed. There's individual unalienable rights, but there are also implicit in the declaration are rights of a society. And I, you got to be careful there because I don't want people to get the wrong idea of what I'm saying. Not talking about collectivism or somehow group, you know, rights are individual. But you do have implicit and just like you have private property rights, a group can get together and form a compact or the contract. And that is determined by the 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 signatories to that document. You can't have other people breach that and become a member of the society against the will of the existing society. That's popular sovereignty. And of course, certainly jurisdictional territorial sovereignty. Principle number five, that all men were created equal with regard to access to and defense of those inalienable rights. Not societal outcomes, privileges, other human pursuits. Because those would run counter. Because if you have government tip the balance and say, you know what? All men are equal. So therefore, Jewish dudes, and I'm, I'm Jewish for those of you who don't know, so I'm not making fun of the Jews here, have to have equal representation in the NBA and basketball teams as anyone else or, or African-Americans. Okay, it has to be like proportionate to the, well, that's not equality because <laughs> you're clearly going to take people that are so much more, that earn the right to, you know, th- through a meritocracy to be there at the expense, or you're going to pe- bring in people that haven't earned it at the expense of those who do. Affirmative action is a violation of this. Okay? That's what equality means. You have equal access to the courts. That our politicians don't govern in terms of the farmers want this, and these people want this, and then certainly not, oh, this is for the blacks, the blacks, this is for the Hispanics, this, is, this special interest. No, you drive down the middle and govern for the, the, the body of people as a whole. You govern to the whole of the people. So you can have different opinions of garbage collection, Certain policies that you interact with as a society that are legitimate for a government to do, whether it's at a local, state, or federal level. But it can't have in mind, you could take the input of certain groups of people, but ultimately, it has to be geared towards everyone. There's no redistribution of wealth. You could have certain universal services if they're the right type of things at the right level of government depending on whether you want that, and you could elect a body of people and the majority could decide to do that. But it has to be for the whole of the people. You can't have programs. I'm just telling you, means test it. You know, we could talk about what we want now, and obviously we can't, it's not politically feasible to go from 100 back to zero. But let's just talk about raw Declaration of Independence. It is a violation of the Declaration of Independence in its most blatant form to have any means-tested program, whether you like it or not, to take money 
from the haves and give it to the have-nots, not in the context of private charity, which is a virtue, that is theft, that's inequality. That is inequality. Also implicit in the preamble is that all members of a given society are equal in the right to self-governance in their respective society on their territory. No ruling class or individual has the right to invasively govern over someone else's life. But yet, that's really what we have. We have a governing class. Now, I just want to take a little bit of a detour here. I want to talk about equality, all men created equal. Slavery, Abraham Lincoln. They are now using that original sin, that unfortunate asterisk, exception, hypocrisy to this declaration as a means of going the other way around and creating reverse Jim Crow against whites or anyone who is not a favorite class. And that is sick. And in many ways, at an intellectual level, it is worse than what happened before. Now, don't take my words out of context. I know Media Matters listens and they're going to go jump on me. I'm not saying that this is what they're doing to us is worse than slavery. Although, watch out. It's getting worse by the day. I'm not saying qualitatively the suffering was, was anywhere near that. But I'm saying as an intellectual level, you have to understand, slavery was a way of life. It was pre-enlightenment. They were born into it. Those who were slaves, those who had them, they were born into that as a normal. That had nothing to do with our American founding. It was not a, it was not a flaw of the Declaration and even the Constitution. Just the opposite. King George was the one who benefited from that. He kept it going. And economically, it was a reality in the southern colonies. America would never have been founded had they fought over slavery then. The majority of the main founders, particularly the more religious ones, were dead set against slavery. They wanted to get rid of it then. But they did the next best thing. They, they sowed. They sowed forever those seeds in the Declaration hoping it would blossom because I think they knew it was untenable and eventually the South would give in. And look, it took about 80 or so years and they got it. So it's not even a flaw in the founding. It's a flaw in the settlement of the American continent, but not of 1776 and 1787. No siree. Just the opposite. I want to note that a lot of people forget Thomas Jefferson gets a bad rap. And again, it was very complicated. People were born into it. So they were gradually coming on to the feeling it was wrong. Even the ones that still had slaves. Jefferson gets a bad rap. And you know what? He was not, relatively speaking, one of the more religious founders. Like a Roger Sherman. But a lot of people forget that on that day, he actually filed an amendment in the Constitutional Convention Hall to stick in and as part of the indictment. So after the, the preamble, we talked about the preamble. After the preamble, you have the indictment of King George, like 30 different charges. And by the way, I'm going to link to in show notes, I have my own indictment I wrote applying to our day today. I could really update it since I've written it a couple weeks ago, but um, we'll put that out. 
he had a provision against King George that he, quote, waged cruel war against human nature by bringing slavery and allowing the slave trade into the American colonies. That was Thomas Jefferson. That is a fact. That is a fact. He proposed that amendment, and unfortunately, it was it was voted out. Um, you know, the ones from the South didn't want it. Others agreed with it, but they were scared it would just it would make things fall apart. And it was just it just they had to fight one battle at a time. Frederick Douglass always talked about that in his speeches. He fully understood that the flaw was not in 1776 was the ideal. That was the aspiration. They just couldn't achieve it yet. As Abraham Lincoln said on his speech against the Dred Scott decision, June 26, 1857, the assertion that all men are created equal was of no practical use in affecting our separation from Great Britain. Right? Why did they have to put it in there? All men are created equal. And yet it was placed in the declaration not for that, but for future use. Its authors meant it to be, thank God, it is now proving itself a stumbling block to those who in after times might seek to turn a free people back into the hateful paths of despotism. And look at how he predicts how they thought they or predicted how that would happen. Quote, they knew the proneness of prosperity to breed tyrants. Look at that. The proneness of prosperity to breed tyrants. And they meant when such should reappear in this fair land and, and commence their vocation, they should find left for them at least one hard nut to crack. Thank God it worked. It took a while in some states. We abolished slavery. We still did not have equality, life, liberty, and property. But eventually we did achieve that. We achieved it in our laws in the 50s and 60s, in society, in some areas, it took a little bit longer. But by the time my lifetime came around, the 80s, the 90s, we had achieved it. And then we started moving the other way around. And then that started being used as a tool and a pretext to do reverse discrimination, go the other way. And that's what I mean to say how intellectually this is indefensible. That was a gradual trajectory from an unfortunate reality pre-enlightenment. We are enlightened. We know this. And now we're going back the other way. And it's interesting. And Calvin Coolidge in his famous speech, will, if we have time, we'll read it a little bit as we do every year, on the 150th anniversary, 1926, talked about the same principle of how hedonism prosperity will breed tyrants because we let our guard down. And it's still like that. We live such opulent lives even even the poorest among us really um historically speaking if you think about it we're just fat and happy and we don't fight and that is the message for today we got to recognize what we've lost i don't do this to depress you i do this to inspire you you can't fight for something if you think you have it and you don't realize you lost it we lost it we don't have it we have what's worse violations of this than ever before it's time to fight it's time to fight Anyway, the final principle, we never did principle six. I deviated a little bit here. Principle six, that when a long train of abuses and usurpations of the aforementioned principles continues without any recourse, the people have the right, indeed a duty, to rebel against the existing system. Folks, we are beyond any usurpations that were taking place in 1776. 
I mean, literally everything our government does is immoral, illegal, and illegitimate, and is a breach of this contract. And it's been that way for a while, but it is now at a point where it is no longer transient. It's no longer, we can no longer suffer while, <laughs> while it's tolerable. As Jefferson noted in the Declaration, our back's against the wall. We have no choice but to fight. The first five principles have been abrogated beyond recognition, which leaves us struggling with how to apply the sixth. Because there they had an invading British army, so you could shoot at them. Who do we shoot at? Do we want to shoot at people? No, of course not. But we do want to defend ourselves, and I'm going to get to that. I don't have all the answers, but I want to give a little bit of a perspective. This is the vexing question. We have the soft despotism that has been taking place for at least two generations. We have the hard despotism of the past number of months that is very clear that without intervention and fighting back, it will become a permanent paradigm. It's spiraling out of control by both traitorous, treacherous parties. That This is now, we move from soft despotism to a French Revolution. Meaning, ironically, they're rebelling against a system that's already neo-Marxist, but it's not enough for them. So they're engaging in a French Revolution against an, a system that's already not American and hasn't been, quite frankly, for a while. The vexing question is how you and I reinvent a great American revolution. That, that, that is the vexing question of our time. How do we apply that? But as I've introduced with the first part of this show, you first have to recognize that we are in need of one. I don't, I don't mean to sound too pessimistic, but there's nothing to celebrate. If you're just celebrating, men, we're free. Thank God they made us free. Uh, no, we're not. If you, if you would come to me right now, Daniel, would you rather the social values and despotism and control of King George or the government we have? I would have said King George last year, five years ago, much less now. This is really bad. We have the worst mixture of tyranny and anarchy. The most widespread violation of fundamental rights seen since our founding. A government that undemocratically locks down our physical movement, our right to earn a living based on distorted data, flat air science, while facilitating unequal treatment for favored classes to riot. They denude us of the right to self-defense while freely empowering their protected people and movements to maim, loot, obstruct traffic, and even kill. Everything our government should be doing, they ignore. Everything they're prohibited from doing based on the natural law we discussed, they elevate to the highest order of governance. What is a fundamental right? They rip to shreds. Like popular sovereignty, borders, property, life, self-defense. What's antithetical to our right? The right of others to your property, the right to immigrate, the right to kill a baby, the right to demand positive privileges, Medicaid, expansion, welfare without work requirements or um, 
a right to employment in your workplace coming in cross-dressing, transgenderism is elevated into our Declaration of Independence. Desires and whims of foreign nationals who are not signatories to the social compact founded in this declaration that we are supposed to celebrate this week are elevated above the rights of citizens, which are no longer recognized at all. Government by the consent of the government? Our government is allowing people to cross our border to get treated for the virus in our hospitals and then using those hospital data as a pretext to place curfews and other restrictions against the liberty and property of we the people. That to secure the rights, these rights governments are instituted among men, they are now allowing roving mobs to restrict our movement and attack motorists. They're spreading the virus in the process of doing so, which gives this same illegitimate government further excuse to blame us and lock us down further. We can't gather in small groups to work or socialize while they can gather in in the thousands to dismantle our republic. How is that? For all men are created equal. How is that? This is not about, as I've been saying for so many years, like a couple of policy disagreements. This is the bastardization of the very meaning of life, liberty, property, and consent-based government. And, and, and they, it's literally flipped on its head. Everything is a perfect. It's almost too perfect. I don't know what we can do. But what we must do is never legitimize this illegitimate usurpation. Oh, they, 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 they passed the law. We need to do this. If you're too scared to push up against it, I understand. And we have to see the best way to do it. But at least in your hearts. They cannot take it from us because they didn't give it to us. God gave it to us. They can't take away what's in our hearts. They might have torn down Jefferson's statue and countermanded the government built in the contract he he wrote. But you know what? We still have that actual contract. It belongs to us. And in that contract... Jefferson not only offered the moral imperative to break away from England, but the moral imperative to fight back against future government usurpations of that document. That contract is eternal because it's built on natural law from God. It is ours. It is our right given by God. We will not surrender. We will not give it up for a day. We will not give it up for a day. These rights don't wear a mask. They're not covered by a face shield or gloves. They're there in plain sight. They cannot take them away from us. Before I talk about where we go from here, I just want to talk a little bit about how we got here. So we talked about the 50th anniversary. It was 1776. We had 1826. Let's go to 1876. 50 years later. The 100th anniversary, the centennial. James Garfield, you know, he's often forgotten about. He was just president for a few months before he was assassinated in the 18, in um, 1881. 
and it's kind of viewed as unremarkable, but it's funny, you know, even the lesser known political leaders of that time had eons more wisdom than even the best people today. And in honor of the 100-year anniversary, July 4th, 1876, this is when James Garfield was a member of Congress. He, um, he, He gave an address. Very interesting. And... He said the following. Let me read read this to you. I'm just uh looking here. Now more now more than ever before, the people are responsible. The people are responsible for the character of their congress. If that body be ignore, ignorant, reckless and corrupt. Ignorant, reckless and corrupt. Just think about that today in the terms of the flat earth data and science and the rioting. Ignorant, reckless, and corrupt. It is because the people tolerate ignorance, recklessness, and corruption. If it be intelligent, brave, and pure, it is because the people demand these high qualities to represent them in the national legislature. And then, oh my gosh, is this ominous. He ends off by saying, James Garfield, July 4th, 1876, if the next centennial does not find us a great nation, it will be because those who represent the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of the nation, the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of the nation do not aid in controlling the political forces. Oh my gosh. I mean, now we know the enterprise, the culture, and morality, the business class, academia, media, they are, they are the political forces. And they are the most decrepit, decadent, immoral, subhuman forces in the history of humanity. It's literally reliving the Canaanites in Leviticus. That is why we are where we are. But what's amazing is it didn't happen 50 years later. It didn't happen 100 years later. It happened roughly... 115 or so to um, where I would say maybe even 125 to 145 years later culminating with this year. That's really when it happened. But the nation held even in Reagan's time you know or this was actually Ford would have been Ford uh, 1976 100 years later, that was, I mean, still the World War II generation in charge. Certainly, it wasn't the same country it was after the 60s. Certainly not the same country in Coolidge's time or Garfield's time. But we still, you know, had had the contours of it. And I really think, ultimately, it's the turning away from God. It's the opulence. It's the materialism, which... Prosperity could be channeled for, for, for good. It's not inherently bad at all. It does a lot of good, but you have to channel it to God. You have to believe in God. And that's really the big difference. The God gap. That's why we have so much... Pe- people don't know where to go. There's no anchor. Those of us who still believe in the Bible, we're, we're not affected by this garbage because we know it's not true. 
We might have to take a couple days to see how to debunk it, where they got their stupidity from, but we know it's not true. The phones, the iPhones, the Google News, the Apple News popping up with its immoral lies. We're inoculated, but the majority, overwhelming majority of people are not. And that's how they facilitate and allow foolishness, corruption, and just utter recklessness and ignorance, corruption. You go 50 years later, you travel to um, July 4th, uh, 1926, the great Calvin Coolidge gave the famous speech, 150th anniversary, 150th anniversary. And we were still that type of country. We still were. I understand between the, the two eras, you did have the progressives. You had Woodrow Wilson. And look, everything's on a downward trajectory over time. Each genera- generation is goes down a notch. But fundamentally, it was intact. I'm going to read to you a little bit from Coolidge. 150th anniversary celebration. Quote, It was in the contemplation of these truths that the fathers made their declaration and adopted their constitution. It was to establish a free government, which must not be permitted to uh, (coughs) degenerate into the unrestrained authority of a mere majority or the unbridled weight of a mere influential flu. Few. Flu? (laughs) Well, that's too, the influential flu. They undertook the balance these interests against each other and provide the three separate independent branches, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial departments of the government with checks against each other in order that neither might encroach upon the other. These are our guarantees of liberty. As a result of these methods, enterprise has been duly protected from confiscation. The people have been free from oppression and there has been an ever broadening and deepening of the humanities of life. Coolidge was able to say this as late as 1926. Under a system of popular government, there will always be those who will seek for political preferment by clamoring for reform. (laughs) Criminal justice reform. Anyway, while there is very little of this which is not sincere, that was in his time, by the way, not in our time, there is a large portion that is not well-informed. In my opinion, very little of just criticism can attach to to the theories and principles of our institutions. There is far more danger of harm than there is hope of good in any radical changes. We do need a better understanding and comprehension of them and a better knowledge of the foundations of government in general. Our forefathers came to certain conclusions and decided upon certain courses of actions which have been a great blessing to the world. Before we can understand their conclusions, we must go back and review the course which they followed. We must think the thoughts which they thought. Their intellectual life centered around the meeting house. They were intent upon religious worship. While there were always among them men of deep learning and later those who had comparatively large possessions, the mind of the people was not so much engrossed in how much they knew or how much they had as in how much, how they were going to live. While scantily provided with other literature, there was a wide acquaintance with the scriptures. Over a period, by the way, think about the beauty, the, uh, eloquence of, of Coolidge here. Think think today how we are inundated with everything but, but, but scripture. But they had very little, only had scripture. Over a period as great as that which measures the existence of our independence, 
They were subject to this discipline, not only in their religious life and educational training, but also in their political thought. They were a people who came under the influence of a great spiritual development and acquired a great moral power. And then he ends off with this. No other theory is adequate to explain or comprehend the Declaration of Independence. It is the product of the spiritual insight of the people. We live in an age, and this is already him saying this in 1926, of science and of abounding accumulation of material things. These did not create our declaration. Our declaration created them. The things of the spirit come first, unless we cling to that. All our material prosperity, overwhelming though it may be, will turn to a barren scepter in our grasp. If we are to maintain the great heritage which has been bequeathed to us, we must be like-minded as the fathers who created it. We must not sink into a pagan materialism. We must cultivate the reverence which they had for the things that are holy. We must follow the spiritual and moral leadership which they showed. We must keep replenished that they may glow with a more compelling flame the altar fires before which they worshipped. That is the great Calvin Coolidge. Isn't it unreal, surreal, to read that today, nearly a hundred years later, when hedonism and turning away from God has sadly, sadly, sadly gotten us to where we are today. I mean, it, it all comes down to that. And you find it even the religion. And I, I look, I speak for my own religion. I, I, I don't want to denounce, you know, the Christian es- establishment, but I think you all would agree with me. But it's true of every major religion now at an establishment level. Even those who claim to be religious really are not. They are completely bought into this paganism. They'll cite the Bible. They'll couch it in quasi-biblical terms. But if anything... They're more guilty than Hollyweird and the media because they should know better. And in fact, they are defiling God's word and serving as an imprecation to the Bible because they bastardize its divine inspiration with their own pagan thoughts. So that is where we are. Everything has changed upside down. But I want you to remember, Thomas Jefferson does survive, as Adam said. Independence forever, as Adam said. Well, what do you mean independence forever? We have despotism now. But the assertion of those rights and the understanding of how and why to fight for them should remain with us. As Coolidge said on that same day, About the declaration, I want you guys to think about the profundity. You could Google it, look it up. Coolidge's 150-year anniversary speech, Declaration of Independence. About the declaration, there is a finality that is exceedingly restful. Finality. Interesting, this finality. It is often asserted that the world has made a great deal of progress since 1776, that we have made, that we have had new thoughts, new experiences, which have given us a greater advance over the people of that day. And that we may therefore very well discard 
their conclusions for something more modern. But that reason, that reasoning cannot be applied to this great charter. If all men are created equal, that is final. If they are endowed with inalienable rights, that is final. If governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed, that is final. No advance, no progress can be made beyond those propositions. If anyone wishes to deny their truth or their soundness, the only direction in which he can proceed historically is not forward, but backward toward the time when there was no equality, no rights of the individual, no rule of the people. Those who wish to proceed in that direction cannot lay claim to progress. They are reactionary. Their ideas are not more modern, but more ancient than those of the Revolutionary Fathers. Folks, we need to fight back against these reactionary regressives. We are the progressives. We are the enlightened. This is our document. This is our legacy and our heritage. Folks, what I propose, I don't have a long-term plan. But there are certain things we need to do to assert ourselves over the current despotism. And it's got to start on a local level. And we'll talk about that more on the other side of the vacation. We got to talk about this, but we got to start on a local level. The, the despotism is too big at a national level. It's, it's too much to bite off. The country's gone. We have to find areas where there are more per capita patriots who think like us. And at least somewhat Republican sheriffs, county officials that we could work with more. And to push the following propositions with the cooperation of local officials, and we could totally fight back. No American should be restricted by arbitrary coronavirus edicts so long as rioters are able to violate them while destroying public and private property. No American without a criminal record should be barred from carrying a gun to protect himself in any state from the lawlessness of gun felons who are allowed to roam the streets. No American should be arrested for self-defense as the police stand back and allow rioters to attack them in cars and on their lawns, patriotic sheriffs should start a program to deputize and train law-abiding owners to help keep the peace. Deputize them. Deputize we the people. The Sheriff Daniels of Clay County, Florida, he's a black sheriff. Amazing video he put out talking about this point. That is something we can and must do. No American should have to pay local taxes until that governing authority reclaims the streets and the highways from roving bands of anarchists. These are very intuitive things. We have to educate people, but people get that. No federal tax funds should go to jurisdictions promoting lawless sanctuaries for the BLM mobs and criminal aliens. Patriots must demand Trump veto any budget bill in September that does not defund anarchy. Don't wait till after the election, which you're going to lose if you don't take action win the damn election, but more importantly, win back our republic. It's time to have a budget fight. It's time to harness a point of contention to direct the attention of the silent majority or at least prolific plurality and minority to fight back on favorable political landscapes, which I think these are very favorable. They are very common sense. Finally, it's time we organize with citizen defense groups the way our founders envisioned. Let's talk about how to do this. It is our right. It always was our right. That's literally, I mean, heck, even the liberals, they're the ones who say, oh, you don't have a right to carry. It's a militia. Okay, well, let's start one. Let me be very clear. We are not talking about a French Revolution. We are not talking about 
attacking and harming innocent people and looting and robbing and stealing the way they do. Although it would appear that that is the only way to get our government's attention. We are merely reclaiming our right to defend our lives and property. It's all defensive. We all respect law enforcement. But local police departments cannot have it both ways. And we need to approach them. Call into them. Demand that they hold town halls with us. The sheriff, the police chief. And we need to assert that they cannot abdicate their duties and throw us to the wolves. Which I understand why they're walking off the job. I get it. But then swoop in and fill that vacuum the minute we try to engage in self-defense and they arrest us or they catch us not wearing a diaper on our face and they and they cite us or something. No, that that is sick. That's immoral. Again, you want to say you don't want to enforce law and order, you're going to get prosecuted as a cop, I'm walking off fine. But don't suddenly find your moxie when it comes to picking on people like us who you know will not beat you and attack you. That's cowardice. Just like the Minutemen of the 1770s, we need to form at the local level citizen defend groups to defend our life, liberty, and property. After all, how does the declaration end? To mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor. Let's do that. In the neighborhoods, that makes sense. Doesn't always make sense. The demographics don't make sense sometimes. The political mixtures don't make sense. But in a lot of neighborhoods, this can be done. Right now, we don't even we don't have a single red county in the country that is as free and as orderly as any single area that's as tyrannical and not orderly. Even in places where Trump won by who knows what. I mean, I, I talked today about the, the mob in Provo, Ta- uh, Utah. You know that county, which is Utah County? Hillary Clinton got 14% of the vote, okay? And we still have lawlessness there. So we got to at least start in those type of counties. It's not going to be where I live. But heck, maybe if we get this off the ground, that's how we start people moving and self-sorting, which is really what we need over time, so we could at least establish a republic Reestablish it in some of the land. I'm going to leave you with an extremely depressing thought that at the same time I think is extremely inspirational. It's a biblical principle from my religion. I want to share it with you. 11 years after the signing of the Declaration, many of the same patriots, same guys, except for Jefferson because he was overseas in France, assembled in the same hall in Philadelphia to codify the system of government based on the blueprint of this social compact. During the final day of that triumph, September 17th, 1787, when they voted on and adopted and signed and drafted the Constitution, Benjamin Franklin, the oldest and most uh, sagacious, well-known of the delegates from Pennsylvania, stood up to speak hobbled, he was kind of hobbling on one leg. It's captured in the following third um, person narration from James Madison's notes on the convention. Whilst the last members were signing it, the docu- meaning the document, Franklin looking towards the president's chair, that's George Washington, at the back of which a rising sun 
happened to be painted, observed to a few members near him that painters had found it difficult to distinguish in their art a rising from a setting sun. I have said he he often and often in the course of the session and the vicissitudes of my hopes and fears as to its issue looked at that behind the president without being able to tell whether it was a rising or setting. But now at length, I have the happiness to know that it is a rising and not a setting sun. Well, my friends, over two centuries later, we've come full circle. Just as the sun does every day as the earth orbits on its axis. We no longer have a rising sun. We have a sun that has been setting for a while and has already fully set. But here's the good news. Out of darkness comes light. Out of storm clouds come growth and sustenance from the rain. The same God who birthed us with these inherent rights. The first time when we're born constantly accords us a renewal, and numerous opportunities in life to defend and renew those rights, just like yesterday's sunset gives birth to a new sunrise. All we have to do is grab it. We talk about this all the time. Opportunities in politics, technology, they're used against us. They're used for us too. There's panic and fear pushing corona fascism. Well, we could use that fear to push self-defense and law and order. Things happen, terrorist attacks on naval bases, we could use them to arm our soldiers on bases and stop importing radical Muslims into our bases. But we sleep through it. We have all these opportunities where we have a majority support from the public on a lot of things and we never press them. We never fight. It won't be easy, but it wasn't easy the first time around when the Patriots were in the minority, remember. Most of the country were either loyalists or they were indifferent. As John Adams wrote to his wife, Abigail, the day before he signed that great American sentiment, expression of American sentiment, it was July 3rd. I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through all the gloom, I can see the rays of light and glory. I can see that the end is more than worth all the means and that posterity will triumph. Folks, as it says in Proverbs 4.18, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. A sunset is not the end of the world. There's another sunrise. But the righteous use that and actualize its potential kinetically to its maximum, just like the sun at midday. Let's get together. Let's talk in the coming days. Had a a resolve to mutually pledge to each other. Our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor. Let's renew it at a local level in the parts of the country that are more in common with the, the founding sentiment. And then, block by block, city by city, state by state, we'll take back our country from the modern, violent French revolutionaries and will spawn another great American revolution. Folks, happy Independence Day. 
Happy 4th. Stay safe. Return to our family. Return to our God. And let's come away from this with a new resolve to make America free again. Mm-hmm.